Hello, and welcome to Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work To Be Well. Today's podcast brings awareness to a very relevant topic, etiquette for debating politics. And as we're getting ready to go into the holiday season or any time of year, candidly, we need to remember that we're going to all talk politics and how do we do it in a way that's safe, cordial, and effective. So I want to welcome three members of our National Student Advisory Council from Work To Be Well, who are here to give us their tips, their tricks, and let's get into the topic of political debate. But before we do so, as a reminder, the information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. I wanna get us started by having each of you introduce yourself, where you're from, and why is this topic important? Thank you very much, Dr. Henderson. Uh, my name is Gavin Cruz and I am a junior in Olympia, Washington. And I think the reason why this topic is very relevant is even me, myself, I'm very involved in politics and government, and that's something I want to you know, do in the future. But also, I think it's nice to bring more awareness about this issue because um, so, you know, we need to help bridge the gap between both parties and we want to help pr- provide you know, full transparency among how we talked about these issues and stuff. So I really appreciate you guys having me here today. My name is Karen O. I'm also a junior, but in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is really important because people usually get caught up in inflammatory statements or there tends to be miscommunication when talking about politics is involved. And so bridging the gap between differing opinions and talking it out cordially becomes imperative when navigating the political landscape. Hi, my name is Divya Tawari and I'm also a junior in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I believe that this topic is something very important to address as both Gavin and Karen stated earlier. And it's so important to, you know, create a unified country as a stand. And I think that it's um, quite important to make sure that everybody is able to get their thoughts out and communicate in a healthy manner. Awesome. Awesome. Because, you know, we don't often talk about etiquette and how we have these conversations. Do you believe there's a proper etiquette for debating politics? Yeah, general. Karen, go ahead. Oh, yeah, for sure. Honestly. I feel like people can get caught up in like their own passions that they tend to forget that, I mean, there's no hard feelings <laughs> generally, at least between the people that are talking, right? Yeah, I agree. I think, like I said, it, it when it comes to politics, I feel like there is a final goal that everybody is trying to achieve. There's just different methods of doing so. And when it comes to doing that, it's important to remember that in the end, if we take the United States as a, you know, example, in the end, we're all American, we're all United States citizens. And there shouldn't be something where you're creating like a feud for a lifetime. So I think it's very important to come under the fact that you guys have a commonality. And yes, you have different opinions, but it's important to respect those different opinions. Divya, you make a very great point there. And, you know, yet again, the general message is that, you know, we want to find that commonality among people. And, you know, there's many reasons why people think the way they are. Um, I've been to a meeting before and like you can be you can argue on two sides of the issue, but there are different reasons of why you argue on those issues. So yet again, we want to prevent that, um, you know, misconception of, you know, political parties and factions and ideals. And, you know, we want to know that, you know, we are still American. We're still 
living in this country and you know we have this some of us share experiences that we all do so you know i don't want politics to be like a driving force in dividing this country but rather it should be a way to yet again you know unify and help challenge and confirm ideas that all of us have here today so there is some etiquette there and i think it still exists here today so so what does it sound like what does it look like i mean is it please and thank you or or is it something different so I had a conversation with um, an elected official back in seventh grade, and the, the topic was actually regarding civility. And you might hear civility as like a very common word of like, or more fancier way to, you know, show those etiquette and stuff. But civility is a very like moralistic um, type of stuff. I mean, you know, we have, you know, we always have those stereotypical people at the Thanksgiving or like a holiday who brings up politics and you get an argument show between, you know, left and right and stuff. But, you know, it's all about listening. I mean, what it takes to debate and argue well is to be also a good listener and communicate your ideas very effectively. Because if we don't have listening, if we're too conflicted about uh, which side is going to win or which side has more oomph to it, I guess, then, um, you know, I think those are some great ideas that, um, you know, help build that ideas for, you know, yet again, having civility and stuff. I, I definitely agree with what Gavin said. I think that um, as to your point, I don't think that there's necessarily required to be a please and thank you, um, because I think that comes into a different type of etiquette. Uh, when it comes to debating politics, it, I feel like being straightforward and you know concise to the point that you're trying to make is important. And also listening, yeah, listening is very important because regardless of what you're representing, um, the listening aspect comes in to maybe counter any arguments that you're trying to counter. It may not necessarily be please and thank you, but it's just general like politeness. No, that's a really, really good point. That that general sense of politeness. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls that I think people fall into um, when they're not being civil, when they're not in an argument, when they get invested in their own stuff or or when they're that uncle at Thanksgiving uh, who, who just kind of goes off on that off on that tangent. What are some of the pitfalls and arguments that people commonly fall into that you've seen? I think generally it's responding to inflammatory comments in the first place. I think, I mean, some people can slip up and say things that maybe they don't really mean, but the mistake is retaliating or taking it to heart and taking very personally being very aggressive after that. It usually never leads to anything in just circular arguments. Right, I agree. I think I think when it comes to politics, everybody has a strong opinion about I mean, I feel like it they think or not that they think, but it eventually represents some part of them, if you will. And when that part is being attacked by any counter or any um, you know, opposing opinion, then it becomes something that they have to defend. And that defensiveness is what creates that rift between people and it creates like a barrier between what you're wanting to say and what you're actually meaning. And I think that's a, you know, like what you guys mentioned and stuff, you know, it's, I think people often get that arguments is all about who's going to be the winner of it and who's going to be the loser of it. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you guys heard the term, you know, when you're little, like I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, or like something like that. And I think even in today's world, we still have a bunch of politicians and elected officials still using that, I guess, childish tactic to help, 
either antagonize or make their point, the valid point of all of the land here. So I think even in just basic arguments, let's say I want a chocolate um, ice cream, but my brother wants a vanilla, you know, you, you want to, there's always like that competitive aspect to like, ooh, who's going to get it or something. So I think that is one way a lot of people, especially, you know, fall into when it comes to like proving their point. It's more of that competitive aspect, almost like you're like in a gladiator ring or something like that. In general, I feel like that's like being perpetuated by the mindset people have, but just discussions and not necessarily arguments. Like there's competitive debate and not to say that's bad at all, but it kind of shapes your mindset into there's always a winner and there's always a loser. And at some point, it may not even be about whose reasoning is right or wrong, but rather you've invested a lot in your argument and there's your pride at stake. Pride goeth before the fall, they say. And that whole idea of getting invested in your argument, that that is just such a really great point. You know, because I think about the more and more defensive people get, the less and less safe the place becomes. And it becomes really hard to feel, especially for people who may have a better point, but not as forceful a voice. How do you create a safe space for extremely opposing opinions? I mean, especially in this environment, how do you create a safe space? I feel like when a lot of people are debating in a competitive manner, there may be a like kind of somewhere in the back of your mind that if I don't say something that is, um, you know, well, like equivalent to what I believe in and maybe what my friends believe in, right? If I say something that is opposing to what they believe in, then there is going to be some sort of avoidance or, you know, um, like, again, a barrier to actually interact with that person because they don't same the, share the same ideologies as you. And to create that safe space, I think it's important to emphasize the respect that comes along with your opinion. It may not be the same opinion, again, that other people have, but understanding that there will be some sort of respect to your opinion, some sort of acknowledgement to your opinion, not to completely dismiss it because it's different. I think that's important in a debating environment. I think that's a great idea, you know, and, you know, I've done debate before in like high school and stuff. And, you know, we want to establish that there's mutuality among people who are debating ideas. I mean, the one common thing we can all say is when you're at, when you're in a debate is that you have passion and that's what helps sparks those debates to like keep going and get more energetic and all that stuff. So, but if you want to create these safe space, which a lot, a lot of people may not believe they're actually there, there is. And, you know, yet again, I think listening and trying to find that common ground is a um, great idea. And I like what Divya said, like we need to rephrase and how we um, come to agree, you know, you heard agree to disagree, you know, we want to help prevent that, like, you know, um, like outburst of like, you know, of a condescending tone, but rather just say, saying your site sucks or you're wrong or something, maybe say, um, although, or maybe say I disagree, and here's why and stuff. You know, I think it's all about tone because tone can really have a great amount of um, interpretation. You might text something, but then one person agrees to it and one person disagrees, you know, it's all about how you present yourself. So I think tone is a great way to help formulate like that common ground and try to be as mutually respected on both sides of the argument. I mean, at the end of the day, creating a safe space for discussing polarizing opinions is really to the people communicating with each other there's certain verbiage and wording that is necessary to be cordial with each other or to keep everything in a 
respectful light or just conversationally rather than um, devolving to an argument. And it's really interesting because a lot of these topics, um, I think Divya, you're the one who said passion comes, passion comes into play. Um, and, and when passion comes into play, um, personally, it can be really hard to separate things that are core values for you from somebody who may have extremely strong core values on the other side. And I have watched, especially, um, you know, sometimes in the legislature, sometimes in Congress, where people have very strong opinions about personal core values that are polar opposites. And they, they lose that ability. Uh, sometimes they lose it themselves. How do you manage your own personal feelings when somebody is arguing with you about something that is a core value of yours, that is something that's very important to you? Uh, I see this come up a lot lately. And how do you manage your peace knowing, you know, that somebody is pretty much attacking something that's very important to you? I think the human nature, and I talked to some people in like a group and, you know, this was also another topic. Like, what is the fine line or what's the line do you want to draw when it comes to, you know, your personal emotions being attached to arguments? And, you know, I mean, to be honest, that's the human nature, you know, sometimes, you know, there's issues that you perceive to be very valuable to you, then you will try your best to defend it any way possible. What is your gender identity or your religion or whatever beliefs you have, you know, in your life and stuff. But I think, you know, personally for me, I, you know, I'm trying to be as much of a great listener as possible. But if, if you notice that their rhetoric is, you know, kind of seen a bit condescending and more towards an insult or more of a dehumanizing way, I personally agree that that's the line to be drawn because there's a difference in between your moral values and, you know, and being dehumanized and stuff. And you can argue that their moral values may be dehumanizing, but, you know, you want to try to really find out what that tone is. And that can be hard. I'm still learning to work on those um, fine lines and boundaries and stuff. But I think something that I've learned from a lot of people was like, when it gets to, to a point where it's dehumanizing or that it could hurt your character, then I, or, and it might seem like an attack or something, then I, that's the best place to draw the fine line and step right in. Right. Um, this reminds me of a conversation that I had in my language arts class, actually. And it was regarding the idea that morality comes with some sense. Okay, morality can be very subjective, I believe. Everybody has com very common views of morality, but in the end, what might seem wrong to one person might seem right to me or vice versa. And so I think that in today's day and age, um, any way to, like Gavin said, express a very extreme thought can be kind of muted in the way that we use our verbiage, like Karen said earlier. And verbiage and tone is so important, but I think that as we are, you know, getting very streamlined into politics, politicians have a way of twisting their words that come out to be very promising to the public. And I think that when it comes to disagreeing with moral values, they're able to do it in a way that is going to sound good or right to us and thereby creates a almost um, void of actual frustration 
in that situation. So I think I think that it's something that you have to go home and process or go think about it before you can actually disagree with them. A lot of people's initial reaction to political statements is to react or react immediately. I feel like people think that taking the time to be quiet or process and take in what was being said is like a sign of almost weakness or hesitance or a weak argument. And that's just not the case at all. You know, it's interesting as we get into these conversations about politics, um, my hunch is, are any of you gonna be able to vote in next year's presidential elections? No. <laughs> Divya, you get to vote. Um, that's one of the hardest things, being your age and being politically active and knowing that next year we're gonna be choosing the next president who's gonna have an impact really on your life as you start into your college years. Um, how do you deal with that? Where do you put that? What do you, how do you engage with the political process and with the conversations about current events, even if you can't vote? I think the best way to engage in being an American citizen is to be well-informed. I think a lot of teenagers, especially, I mean, adults too, they can, skim an article or read an article head or hear something from a friend and automatically jump to conclusions that they know everything about the situation when in reality there's so much nuance and history behind these decisions and these political debates and so oh, being being informed and being informed when you vote or even when you don't vote making sure that you don't spread misinformation that's a great point there. I think, you know, and being informed and having the knowledge of like all both sides of the conflict is something to, you know, be engaged in, you know, as a, um, you know, as I say, a disfranchised voter. And, you know, I talked to some, you know, city council members when we presented a youth group and that did pass. So we're very excited to start that in Olympia. But um, one of the biggest things is that a lot of youth are overlooked and stuff. You know, a politician may use them as like clout, for example, to like tell them that here's my, I, you know, I'm doing so much for the youth. But in reality, you know, they could be like, you know, like adult explaining as I call it. So I think having that transparency to like, you know, get them to listen and actually the youth actually activism and doing all such sorts really helps bring attention to their elected officials, even though they can't vote, even though they're underage and stuff. So those are some things that I guess people can be actively involved. You know, you know, I'm, I'm one of the black sheep in my school, you know, not a lot of kids really care about it, but when it comes to specific issues that could affect them in the future, they really, they get on the boat right away. So yet again, being informed, you know, social media has been pretty great and just being educated and talking to your officials. Cause if you want to, if you have a concern you have to bring up to them, even though you can't vote for them, you know, bring it up because I think a lot of officials, even though people get the misconception, they don't listen to you, they actually do. So, you know, your words actually do have a lot of actions to it and stuff. Um, I would actually slightly want to add to the point of information. So with our generation, we are very locked in to like Instagram and uh, threads now X instead of Twitter. And so I think that that is a big source of misinformation. Um, there are lots of people who go on Instagram that I see every day 
and they see the first post that they might agree with. This goes back to the way they use verbiage, right? And the way verbiage is used is they can miss or they can misinterpret a situation and use a tone of voice and verbiage that makes it sound like a terrible, terrible thing. When in reality, there's no understanding of what actually happened on the other side, or they don't get both sides of the view and they just pick the first thing they see and start posting about it. There is no, and, and I, I, la I feel like sometimes I la um, people lack the genuine understanding of what's going on because I severely doubt these people search up actual news articles and get credible information and they jump to severe conclusions without coming to a logical or informative solution. And that's where there is a lack in communication to representatives. And without proper information, I can't just read one Instagram post and be supremely knowledgeable about the issue at hand and go out to contact somebody because I don't know what the actual problem is. And so if I educate myself on the problem and understand both sides, then I can make a proper conclusion and then contact a representative with an actual solution. That's a great idea. I think information in like the technology age, as we call it, is just so like it can be manipulated easily. And I really like how you remarked with regards to like the tone and you know stuff. And we had and with our discussion I had with a group, um, it's very powerful. The algorithm, as they call it, is super powerful. And like once you like a post of this like let's say once political party, you get a bunch of suggested posts later on when you scroll down and you see that um, channel of energy that you know, the algorithm wants you to do just because you like one post. So it really surprises me, you know, like even with like how we, you know, have information either on social media or, you know, news articles or websites and stuff. It's just really interesting how it manipulates us, even though we've lived longer than what the internet has and stuff. It, it's very powerful and we want to help, you know, don't let them, don't let, you know, like these informational, like misinformational stuff manipulate your mind. So I really like that point that you made, Divya, regarding like how we're sometimes, you know, with that one post, we don't often look at the other factors of the argument or even fact check to even see if it's a real thing or not. So I'm really glad you guys pointed that up. Uh, jumping onto the social media thing that you guys mentioned, uh, I remember looking through Instagram and there was this post about the Hamas-Israeli war. And I, I saw the title and it just, to not, it looked very extreme. And then I actually read through and, and saw that the title and the caption on the post was completely inaccurate to what was actually being said in the New York Times article. And so there's so many ways that these things can be skewed that it's really difficult to, to really truly be informed in the digital age. Oh yeah, I'm so glad you guys are talking about this because the disinformation that happened in the last election cycle is gearing up again and it's going to gear up in a way um, that's going to pull in everything from you know what's going on over in the middle east to what's going on over here to all of the different political hotbed things that are happening right now and we're coming into a serious run of politics over the next year where we're going to have to be mindful and as people who are politically active what do you see as your role in ensuring that people get accurate information. How do you see how you can influence that, whether you can vote or not? 
Well, actually, I think this goes a lot back to, okay, I hate to say it like this, but um, we kind of live in a materialistic world where sometimes when people have power, um, they're able to use it in ways that should not, is not the best for the public itself, especially when it comes to government. And I'm not saying this to everyone, but you know, we have those people. Um, therefore, I think that, again, going back to very the very beginning of our argument is if you have a common goal, I think it's very important to put aside your ego and pride and kind of work together, whether it's crossing the two sides. There are there are ideologies. It's a, the two sides have an ideological difference, right? It's not it's not a motive difference. In the end, both parties work for the United States. The both parties are working for the public. So when it comes to that, if you have the same goal, I think there's multiple ways of brainstorming common points between each party, which is going to allow the public to make a informed and calculated decision when they do choose a specific party that they would like to represent the United States on a global level. Yeah, the U.S., you know, we learn about this in history, but the U.S., you know, surprisingly, is just a party system, you know, whether we don't vote on the people or the candidates, we just vote on the party directly. But, you know, and that's where a lot of people get, you know, easily misinformed that like, oh, they're just hard right, hard left, you know, and all that stuff. But, you know, I think what, you know, we should work on, you know, what can we bipartisanly pass? And bipartisanship is something that, you know, a lot of people often often overlook and stuff. So um, in Washington state, you know, surprisingly, even though a lot of people said, oh, you know, not all oh, the Democrats bills are getting passed because it's a democratic majority. There were still a lot of bills that were bipartisanly supported on both sides, whether it's introduced by a Republican, a Democrat or an individual or an and independent, you know. So I think jumping off that point, you know, we want to put aside the ego, we want to put aside the power in of like your wording and support. And you know, again with the gladiator battle issue that we talked about earlier, you just want to like stop, you know, you want to like think about like why are we really fighting each other, you know? This is the United States, you know. We were born under this country for one reason and so that's why, you know, we should really focus on like the broader aspect of like what are issues that we both can agree on and how can we get those solutions ASAP? Well, so as we start to wrap up what we're talking about today, I wonder what advice you have for people to, you know, have healthy conversations with others about these hot topics. What are your debate advice? What's your best advice to somebody who's wanting to jump into the deep end of the pool? I mean, be informed. <laughs> That's so right. You're so right. Be informed and there's a time and a place for these types of discussions, right? Um, especially if you know the type of people you're around are generally kind of provo not provocative, but like to provoke with these types of discussions, especially with other teenagers. There's, there's some that say inflammatory things just to be inflammatory or just to get a rise out of something or out of someone time and place and knowing your audience and being informed are probably the more integral things into facilitating a, a good discussion. That's a great point. And, you know, I just learned this today from our motivational speaker from the WASL or something. And one of those points that this guy Brent mentioned is, 
you know, with regards to your friends or who you hang out with, you know, they really have a lot of influence on your future and stuff. So I'm asking like, who's your friends? You're asking, what is your future? And I really think the people who you surround with, you know, what, and they don't have to be on, you know, you don't have to be like on the same side as you are, you know, it's a matter of how you can use your relationships with other people and help build a broader expanse, um, you know, idea of like knowing, you know, both sides to an argument and stuff. And, you know, with civility, you know, it's all about that aspect. You know, you want to make sure that when you're debating someone, you have to give the mutual respect. You want to debate effectively by with communication rather than emotion. And yet again, you know, that's what I think you know, a lot of people often, you know, misconstrue when it comes to debate and stuff. But, you know, yet again, you know, we're all human. We're all Americans, you know, you know, we come from all different walks of life. But in the end, you know, we're we're still connected because we're passionate about issues that affect us or we think affect us a lot. So that is the reason why, you know, we debate and stuff. Well, I want to thank you all for being here today. And I think we're going to continue this conversation as we get into uh, this election cycle over the next year. I look forward to talking with you all again, especially as we start to see some of this misinformation come up and maybe we can dig in on how exactly do you look and figure out what's real and what's just fake news. Thank you all for joining me on Talk To Be Well and for having this important discussion today, being honest and bringing your true selves. If you are looking for support with your mental health, check us out at worktobewell.org. That's work the number two, bewell.org. This is Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. Be well.